The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus Amadeo, shameless advertisement there, Grable and Associates. I gotta get more content done for Shiawassee Radio. So here we are. Live audience is here bright and early. I appreciate that. Taking the pressure off. You know, today I'm gonna share a story from court this week. And, you know, what happened in court this week, <coughs> this one particular story, it led to a lot of self reflection. And it was such a crazy travel weekend. You know, one of my fatal flaws, if you would, is the end of the night, I have my phone with me. And clients start texting. And emails keep coming in. And you're trying to fix people's problems. And I thought about different jobs I've been offered. I've been offered big money to go to California. Big money to go to New York. Big money to go back to New Jersey. Certain firms have offered for me to leave. And one of the reasons that I've stayed here with my two firms is because I feel I could just be me. You gamble on yourself sometimes. And I had a run-in with a young public defender this week. And Tim Livingston, who is an amazing lawyer in Livingston County, I don't know if he's tuned in right now, but he's a role model of mine. And I remember way back when, being in the Livingston County Court, (coughs) morning Bridget, against a prosecutor who was more seasoned than me, more talented than me at the time. And I was scared. I was scared because somebody's life is in my hands. The case was assigned to me from Grable. I don't want to make Scott look bad. And Tim Livingston, he may not remember this, but it will always stick with me. He pulled me into the hallway. And he whispered in my ear some things an older lawyer that would see and experience would provide to a younger lawyer. And that day kind of brought me back to a lot of different places and making me think everything was okay. Always be grateful to Tim Livingston for that. I mean, that little gesture of his time changed my life, changed my career. And when I see his daughter and son doing good things in the field of law, I'm like, well, imagine having Tim Livingston as your father. Because he was a father figure to me in that moment. And I think sometimes in this field, We need to be that big brother. We need to be that person that the young lawyer needs to vent to, needs to help. And as I'm going to this court, and it's not Washington, let's be clear about that, because I know Washington is watching me hard right now, and it's cool. I've said what I've said on cases. I don't stand, I stand behind everything I say. And I know there's some people in Washington have a real problem with me right now. And let me be clear, I have a real problem with them as well. 
But something about the court. There's something amazing about the court system. And no matter what, the big job offers, the Google hits, the money, whatever. We're walking into somebody's home, right? When I say walk into somebody's home, that judge, those jury members, whatever, that's their home. And here you are, you walk in as the outsider. You may look the part, you may do this, you may do that, but they tell you it's your turn to speak. And what you are is you're like this magician for a few minutes and you're flipping your knives or whatever the hell you're doing. And you're trying to show that your show is important to keep their attention. But no matter who we are or what we are, it's always an honor to be in their court. And the court system is bigger than we are. And people forget about that. Hell, I think I've forgotten about that. But sometimes you can be reminded of stuff. As I'm driving to this court, I felt like Spotify was reading my mind. I'm tired. I'm grumpy. I'm overworked. I'm this, I'm that, and Gaslight Anthem comes on. And this amazing song, History Books, gets played. And History Books is about escaping your past. And I think that's a battle each one of us have every day. Right? Our experiences make up who we are. Jimmy Eat World comes on. And the song Let It Happen is blaring. And that's a song about lost loves and first impressions. And then Taking Back Sunday comes on, Your Own Disaster. And that's a powerful track. But these are all Jersey bands. These are all bands that played a role in our youth if you grew up in Jersey. And I realize as I'm getting older... There's more Jersey in me than I realize. Maybe more than I care to. But there's also the survival mechanism of being Jersey. But hearing those songs on the way to court. Hey, Mary. It brought me back to a different time. And it made me think of Tim Livingston. It made me think of the ghetto of Atlantic City. It made me think of a lot of things. <clears throat> and I'm in a different mindset. And the mindset is... Number one, fight time. Number two, protection. And then gratitude. Gratitude, because I realized as I'm driving to this court, and I was paid a ton of money to go to this court to fix this problem, and we are the main event that day. I'm walking in, and part of me is really proud of how hard I worked to get to this point. Another part of me is like, okay, I gotta fix this, I gotta fix that. And the work ethic, there's this fear. And anybody that's been really poor can relate to this. There is this fear that if I don't perform a certain way, I'm going to be poor again. I'm going to be broke and desperate. And I mean, and probably nothing could be further from the truth, but Ducktown doesn't leave you. It sits with you. And the lessons you learn in Ducktown are there for better and for worse. It is a marriage. And there's no divorce. There's no separation. 
There's no trial run. There's no open relationship. You and Ducktown are married and joined at the hip for life. And it's always going to be like that. And Ducktown protects you. Ducktown loves you, but Ducktown hates you. And Ducktown tells you all these things that go through your mind. And you got to control that. And my case is done. And there's this little public defender. And I've seen her around. And this is a kid. I mean, she can't be more than 26 years old. And I'm watching her get run over by the seasoned prosecutor. And I'm shaking hands with certain people there. And, you know, lawyers sometimes, it's like a scene from Mean Girls, you know. The court-appointed lawyers sit together. The retained lawyers sit together. The public defenders sit together. And they're all talking shit about each other, right? Now, as somebody who's been the court-appointed guy when I was a young kid, as somebody who's worked part-time for a public defender's office, and as somebody who now is that retained lawyer, I'm friends with all these people. And I guess friends is too powerful of a word, right? But I realize we're all part of this criminal defense club. We're in this club, right? And we're supposed to watch out for each other, but unfortunately, we eat our own. The retained lawyers think they're superior to everybody else. The court-appointed people are usually running from court to court trying to pay their mortgage. The public defenders, and I'm stereotyping, many of them took the job so they could have nights and weekends off and have balance in their life for less money. But who's the best of these lawyers is completely up for debate. And guys, I'm going to tell you, it depends on the day of the week. So I'm talking to all these people, and here's this kid. And she's up at the podium. And this seasoned prosecutor, who's a piece of garbage, thanks, cuz, is beating her up. And I walk by, and I whisper in her ear, ask the judge to pass your case. And she looks at me, and she knows who I am. And she goes, Your Honor, may I pass the case? And the judge goes, Okay, no problem. So they come on, let's go in the back. So I take her back to this little room. And in this court, there's this little, these tiny conference rooms, which would make a gym locker be impressive, right? These little tiny rooms. I said, what's going on? And she goes, well, I, and she's crying her eyes out. I'm like, hey, calm down. This will be okay. Tell me what's going on, because I know that prosecutor. I know they're trying to play games with you. Just tell me about the case. Give me like a five-minute synopsis. And you got to remember, at this point, I've done my shtick. I've juggled. I've impressed. It's time to move on. And I never have time for the gossip, guys. I know a lot of people talk shit about me, but pre-COVID, I was going from court to court, so I never had time to gossip. Never had a desire for it. Because I had more work to do. In the Zoom era, I was juggling three devices to Zoom, and then in this combo era, I'm either running to court or Zooming on my phone or doing this or doing that. And to be honest... On paper, I don't have time to talk to this kid. I've got to go to my next court. But I also realize this kid is drowning. And if you don't help one of your own when they're drowning, who the hell are you? So she starts breaking down the case. And then 
I say to her, ask for the body and dash cam. Tell the court you did not receive the body and dash cam. She says, well, no, they gave me all the paperwork. I said, okay. Did you read the reports? Yeah. How many times did you read them? <clears throat> she goes, four or five times. Okay. That's a sign of a young, hungry lawyer who's trying so goddamn hard. And some of these cases are impossible. If a lawyer tells you they never lost a case, I'm going to call that lawyer out as being a liar. We don't talk about our losses. We talk about our wins, right? Because we're in this mode to advertise and present this image. And guys, we're all human beings. Yeah, people think I'm this amazing lawyer. I've done some amazing things, luckily. And it's going to come back in a minute how that all started. But we've all had our bad days. And this kid was having this bad day, but it wasn't her fault. The prosecutor held discovery back on her. Said, in the discovery, knowing this particular county, did they reference body and dash cam? Yes. Okay. Did the prosecutor provide you the body and dash cam? No. Standard shit. Tell the judge you need an adjournment to study the body and dash cam. What's up, Amber? And the judge listens to this kid as she goes up to the podium, sitting behind her. She goes, Your Honor, I need the body and dash cam. It was not provided by the prosecution. What's up, Joe? I. And the judge smirks, looking at me, knowing that I schooled this kid to make that request. And the prosecutor, who's just a piece of garbage, is like slamming her fist down. We provide everything we have. And she looks at me and I say, I'm like, tell her, go with it, run with it, run with it. Because now you just punched the bully back. Because, Your Honor, I made the request and we didn't get this discovery. And the judge turns to the prosecutor. Why did you get the discovery? Well, we have to request it. Well, I suggest you request it. 30-day adjournment. Now this kid looks like a superstar to her client. And I'm going to tell you, if they didn't hand over the body and dash cam, that means there's something beneficial to this kid's case. So I'm walking out. She's walking out. And she's just really upset. She goes, look, I'm breaking up with my boyfriend. They gave me these bigger caseloads. She goes, you always seem to have anything under control. I don't. My personal life's in disaster. I said, listen, here's what you have to realize. Life is not going to stop. And I don't know what's going on with your boyfriend. I don't know what's going on with your caseloads. But I'm going to tell you, when you walk into court, this is your escape from all the bullshit that life will present. The only thing you need to do is focus on your job. And she looked at me like I just imparted this crazy knowledge. She goes, how do you seem to have it under control? And I told her, I gotta go. Here's my business card. If you need to talk more, you let me know. But I've got to run right now to my next court. You hang in there. She followed up with this Facebook DM and said, listen, how do you have it under control? She goes, I really need to know. It's going to help me moving forward. I said, okay. I'll discuss it in a live, and here we are. And it goes back to Miss Scandia. It goes back to the ghetto of Ducktown. When I first walked into a courtroom, I was 16 years old, and I was terrified. And guys, let me be really clear. Anxiety 
and pressure, that's real. That shit is real. And if you don't feel some anxiety before the big game, then you shouldn't be playing the game. The key is to control it to the best of your ability. And once you get flowing, you're flowing. Once you're in that game, own the game. But the moments leading up to the game can be frustrating. And I'm nervous because I'm on this mock trial team. And here I am. I'm the poor Italian kid with all the wealthy Jewish market kids on this team. They don't want me. And I walk into this courtroom in Atlanta County. Miss Gandhi is there. And I'm looking around and she pats me on the shoulder and she goes, Amadeo, listen. I know things are tough at home. And at home, Aunt Mary was sick. Grandpa just died. Mom was in an abusive relationship. Um, the ghetto was the ghetto. We were poor. It was violent. My animals were my salvation. But what Gandhi taught me was two things that day. This courtroom is your cathedral. This is your escape from the outside world. Because in this courtroom, we're all equal. And you can own the show. And for that time you're in court, you could forget about all the shit going on in the outside world. When you're out of court, you will have to find a way to survive on the way home. You can be depressed that nobody wants to go to the prom with you. You can be concerned that you want to beat up your mom's boyfriend. You can have all that shit, because it's going to be there. But when you're in this court, own that. And respect it. Because this court gave you the ability to escape. And as time moves on, it's going to give you the ability to truly escape. It's going to provide the money to get your family out. People are going to look at you differently. Your appearance is going to change. Your demeanor is going to change. But don't you ever change. When you're in that court, when you're living that moment, respect it. And remember, you add something to it, but we are the court's guest. So when this kid says, how do I have it all under control? And she's got her 40 files. And she's depressed over life. And she's trying to handle these calls after hours. Here's why I appear to have it under control. Because I know I'm lucky enough to be part of the process. I don't apologize for being successful. I can't. That's my ego. But I have to show gratitude because the court system gave us this opportunity. And we all have it. And whether you're that court-appointed lawyer who's trying to pay the bills, or that retained lawyer going for your next big case, or that public defender that's trying to balance life, we're all equal. We're part of this amazing system. And I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, we forget the appreciation we're supposed to have for the court system. It becomes about us as opposed to the system. And guys, the system is broken. The system is screwed up. 
There is social economic discrimination. There is racial discrimination. There is political prosecutions. And I could go on and on and on. But the system that we chose to be part of, that system gave us all a way out. And whether that way out is from a bad relationship or from poverty or from physical or emotional abuse or whatever cross you are particularly bearing, it all gets put on pause when we walk into the system. And for that, our profession is the most amazing therapy one could ever ask for. And I think far too often we lose sight of how lucky we are to be part of this process. And that is how I appear to have everything under control. And for those of you that actually know me, it's not always the case. But image is critical in this world. And unfortunately, image overrides substance. But substance at the end of the day is a more powerful entity. And this is simply the game of life in the criminal justice system. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. All right, tonight we're going to talk about Cheers, one of my favorite shows growing up, and your perspective today on it. Um going to talk about a law school party where Cindy Lauper played a big role in things. And then we're going to talk about, hold on, we got a few things to talk about, but we are, we're doing good with the live. Scott Grable is on with the Grable and Associates thing. I'm handicapped in baseball, but I'm stopping to watch this most important life. Scott, thank you, man. I mean, the fact that you took time from your busy day. You probably worked two, three hours a day. Something. Yeah, Jesus. Something. I did more work for Scott Grable than Scott Grable did for himself today. I promise you that. But it's lit. Scott's a delicate flower, man. He likes to tune in and make his little commentaries. And Scott spending $200 on a baseball game today. Wow. That's huge, right? He was actually betting more when he was a pizza delivery guy Jeez. in New Jersey. And he sends me these simulations he does. Scott, we're, we're really impressed, man. You should start your own capping site. You know, <laughs> that would be good. And let's give a big shout-out to Ravi Guru Murphy. Ravi, if you're out there listening, out in Oscola today, he won three preliminary examinations. Let me explain something to you guys. A prelim is almost impossible to win. Yeah. All the prosecution has to show is probable cause. That is nothing to show. And Ravi came through. Most people don't win more than one in their whole career. I have won, actually, I did the math, 11 in my career. Ravi did three in one day. That's the equivalent of hitting six home runs in a game. That's amazing. So, Ravi, this one's for you, man. Kicking ass and taking names. If Ravi was in the Ann Arbor area, he'd be making more money. Think about that. So can we start the real live? Okay. And the live audience, did you approve the script? Yeah, we're good. It's not really a script, but I mean, you know, there's notes we wrote. Mm -hmm. 
Let me tell you about Cheers. And people want to hear this. I know. You know, Cheers is one of my favorite shows as a child. And the story goes, we didn't have many channels growing up. We were really poor growing up. You've heard me bitch about that many times, right? Mm-hmm. So, we had channels 2 to 13. And on channel 3 was Cheers at 9 o'clock on Thursdays. And my mom was off Wednesdays and Thursdays. So me, mom, and Aunt Mary used to watch Cheers religiously. I love that show. And the star of the show is Sam Malone. Sam Malone was a really good relief pitcher with the Boston Red Sox. He was a closer. He had a bad alcohol problem. And one of the few assets he had from his major league career was the bar Cheers. And, you know, as a child, you really love the show. And, like, I'm watching it on Hulu today after a long day of work. And I'm watching Cheers. I mean, not today. Maybe I'll do it later tonight. But, you know, you go home. You unwind. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And you're putting Cheers on. And then you start saying to yourself, whoa. And this week, I was on pain medication for my left knee. Which I'm told I could be back in the gym now in a day or so, and I can see my left knee's up there. So the pain meds have helped. But you guys know I'm like straight edge, right? So me on pain meds after a long day of work watching Cheers. Wow. It's um Scott Gray was making all these sarcastic comments. I mean, does he ever stop? No, he doesn't. Don't you have like a, a bullet to build, or you know, like? some uh, intermittent fasting to do, Scott? I guess not. So let's talk about Sam Malone. We're going to go through some of the characters, right? And some of the sketches. And <laughs> Scott goes, I can't be silenced. Here's the thing. Growing up, Sam Malone is the good-looking baseball player who now owns a bar. And he's one of your favorite characters, right? I mean, who doesn't like Sam Malone? So really, he's got a heart of gold. And, you know, he's always getting women, and you think he's this cool guy. But, I mean, I guess the problem, as you grow older, you start realizing, and I still like the show, don't get me wrong, but Sam is really a moron. Like, he's really dumb. Like, he gets involved in really stupid situations. He's bad with his money. Stupid relationships. But... The craziest relationship of all was with Diane Chambers. So Diane is this pseudo-intellectual. And, you know, you're impressed. Like, she's this intelligent woman who's just tending bar, waiting tables. You know, and you're kind of, like, playing that out. Like, okay, here's this brain amongst a group of morons. (laughs) You stop. Okay. Not that I'm relating to certain things in Atlantic City when I say that. But I, I like Diane. But then you start breaking Diane down. First of all, she wasn't as good looking as people professed her to be. Like, and here's Fraser Crane. We'll get to Fraser later. And Sam. And they're like in love with this woman. And, I mean, if I was Sam, I would have cut tides with Diane a long time ago. But he gets played out by her gets involved in all these situations with her and I don't understand like 
the allure of Diane. Because she, when you really break Diane down, she's not as smart as you think she is initially. Initially, you think she's this brain and she's well-read, right? But when you really start looking at things, remember the time she submitted a poem to Literary Magazine? She got rejected like Woody did. She's not a published writer till years later when she finally leaves Sam. She's involved in an array of goofy relationships. She was the TA and was in love with her professor who left her there. That's how she started at Cheers. I don't know. Like, here's Sam, this good guy, but he's really stupid. Here's Diane, this somewhat attractive intellectual. But when you break it down, Diane's not that smart. It's just she's smart compared to Sam. I mean, and Sam, let me break the news for you, bro. She's not really brilliant. If you're going to go the intellectual route, I mean, you could have went a different direction. I didn't like their dynamic, but I did love Coach Ernie Pantuso. Nicholas Castellano. Ernie Pantuso was the sweet father figure of the group. And I got to tell you, at seven years old, I loved Ernie Pantuso. In my mid-40s, I love Ernie Pantuso. How could you not? And when Ernie passes away, he's replaced by Woody Boyd. And Woody's a great character. Woody is this poor idiot that was a pen pal with Coach. Back in the day, they used to have pen pals. And you may say to yourself, that's crazy. Is it? Or is it like meeting people on the internet today, you know? But these two are writing to each other, and then Woody takes over the job, and Woody is the son version of Coach. And it's a perfect transition. One thing Cheers did amazing was when Diane left, here came Becky Howe. When Coach passed away, here came Woody Boyd. They had a way of filling in the next person up. Carla Tortelli. This is the one that gets to me. Carla Tortelli was viewed as somewhat of a sex symbol. I didn't get it. She's this miserable little woman, right? She's got like six kids. And she's always involved in these love, these crazy love relationships, these weird situations. One, she ends up having a relationship with Fraser Crane's hero, Ludlow. And Ludlow wants to marry Carla, and she says no. Because she has a dream of being with, like, a loser. And to me, this sums up everything, right? She was into Eddie LeBeck. She was into Nick Tortelli. Here comes Ludlow, who's in love with her. Pushes him away. Then when she gets with Eddie LeBeck, who loses career with the Boston Bruins, he ends up going to the ice capades getting killed by a Zamboni truck, and he finds out that she was having an event. Carla was very mean, and I would have tipped Carla well, would have been rooting for her, but I can't see why people put up with her shit. And she probably would have liked me, because I'm a good tipper, you know, you're a professional guy that's nice to her, but the way she treated other people, it kind of annoyed me, and one person she treated like shit was Cliff Clavin. What do you think of Cliff Clavin? No comment. Okay, you don't like Cliff? No. You think he's a Democrat? <laughs> Cliff and Norm are the two regulars at the bar, right? These guys are key to the show. 
And here's poor Norm. Norm's always unemployed as an accountant. And he just drinks at the bar all day long. And here's Cliff, the mailman. Cliff is somewhat of a coward. You kind of have empathy for Cliff when he gets called out in a fight and doesn't go. But then he does things like report his co-worker Lewis for stealing perfume from the mailbags. I don't know. And then he falls in love with Maggie O'Keefe. It's, it's weird with Cliff. The one show that was centered around Cliff is when he went on Jeopardy. He goes on Jeopardy and he's winning crazy amounts of money. And the one question they ask him on Double Jeopardy or whatever, or in the final round of Jeopardy, is who were these three actors, what they have in common? And he responds, three men who've never been in my kitchen, he loses it all. And that sums it up. Cliff is the guy who, on the brink of success, finds a way to lose. We know people like that in life. They find a way to lose a case. Norm is just a jolly old drunk who's along for the ride. Fraser Crane who gets his spin-off. I mean, Frazier's nuts. He is this educated, mental health professional, but he loses his mind over Diane. Diane leaves him to go back with Sam. And then Lilith cheats on him with the other doctor in the bubble or whatever. And Frazier's gonna kill himself over this. I mean, and I'm thinking to myself, this highly educated person comes in this bar. He's dysfunctional. But what does he want out of life? And here's where the intellectual thing... You're looking at this today, right? What did Diane and Fraser really want out of Cheers? Because on its face, right? You would think Fraser's hanging out with the intellectuals. Sipping sherry, right? Whatever. And Diane would be hanging out with other intellectuals, probably like unpublished writers, not making money or whatever. What do they want? They want to fit in. That's reality. And inside the bubble of cheers, these poor souls were extremely important. And they controlled the dynamic. They controlled the dialogue. Outside of cheers, Sam Malone is an alcoholic and a failed baseball player who doesn't have a ton of money. Inside Cheers, he's king of the world. Outside of Cheers, Norm Peterson is kind of a joke, but inside Cheers, he's cheered on. He's beloved. Outside of Cheers, Cliff Clavin is that weird mailman that the dogs always want to bite. Inside Cheers, he's one of the guys. And it's weird how Frazier and Diane, these two intellectuals, they just want to be part of it. And I think subconsciously I picked up on this as a kid. And I think it's one of the reasons, like, I had no desire to ever fit in anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of why I fit in everywhere. It's one of those things. And what do we learn from that? Like, when I go to different courts and stuff, people have this fear about leaving their comfort zone. Right. You should make the comfort zone assimilate to you. You shouldn't have to assimilate to the comfort zone. And I could still watch Cheers today and smile and laugh. 
But I also realize it's a bunch of people who wanted to control their own little part of the world and not really branch out. And when they did branch out, things didn't work. If Sam Malone was sober, he might have been a great closer for a long time. If Fraser Crane had more confidence, he wouldn't be chasing down Diane. If Cliff Clavin had more self-confidence, he'd be putting money away in the 401k and be having a cool side gig. But they all find themselves in this little bar where everybody knows your name. And for a half hour of our week, we got lost in it. And we felt like we were beloved members of the show. Sadly, as time passes on, you're realizing, huh, I don't know if I want to be in that clique. Mm-hmm. Be cool to them, tip them well, but I don't know if I'd want to go to Cheers every week. Let me ask you a question. You know me, right? Is there anywhere I really want to go every week? No. It's like, you never see me, like, say, hey, I gotta go here. Mm-hmm. The gym. Yeah, okay, but that's more like mental health therapy, right? You know, it's spirit. But I mean, as far as like going to a restaurant or going to a bar, I mean, I don't have that niche where I want to go do that. I'll go places. Right. I didn't have a desire to go to certain things, and that leads us to part two of our story today. The desire to fit in and law school functions. Let's break this one down. You know, throughout time, I've learned that uh, clicks are different, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when we found each other... <laughs> you came here looking for a grave hole? And you didn't my inner circle is my inner circle. It's a very dynamic group, right? Mm-hmm. Which would include you, Thank you. Matt McManus, yep. Scott Grable, Jen Kelly. Yep. But, I mean, outside of that, there's tons of people we're cool with. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about things in the inner circle we wouldn't share outside of the circle, right? It's fair, fair, right? And I realized in law school, like, people go their whole lives out finding an inner circle. And I'm relating cheers now to a law school function where people just want to fit in, right? Hmm. That need to fit in is so strong. You know, hey, Nancy. And, um... This one little school function really made me think. I'm back in time, and Cindy Lauper will come into play here. But um, I won some award at Cooley. At this point, my grades are really good, and I'm going to tell you why they were so good. Because I believe we should never confuse academics and intellect. But I did learn, if I didn't get this good enough GPA, I'm going back to Jersey and bartend. I don't want to do that. So you have to learn the system to be successful. It's kind of like been a theme in my life, like learn how to play the game better than the people that created the game, you know? It'd be like when I did fantasy football, I'd be with all the guys in Jersey and I couldn't stand it, but if I'd win, it really pissed them off because the intellectual won the fantasy football. Well, that's what law school was to me, right? Shit. I got a future here. I don't necessarily like a lot of these people, but... That's your surrounding area. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fit in with them, but I want to be able to control the room, if you would. But this was a weird time for me, because mom is really sick. 
I mean, mom is not far from death. And, um... <laughs> Scott Grable says, Bill Amadeo's inner circle is the equivalent of the Warriors of the late 70s movie. Amadeo is the swan character. <laughs> oh, Scott, love you, you too, man. Could I finish my story? Would it be alright? Yeah. So, mom's sick. And I'm on the phone with mom, and, like, talking to mom when she was sick, we got really close. We were close when I was a kid. And then there were some issues along the way. And wait for it, Nancy. It's coming. And um, distance kind of rolls closer together, if that makes sense. You know? You can relate to that, right? So I'm on the phone with Mom. And I'm just checking in, like, hey, what's going on? How you feeling? Blah, blah, blah. She's like, what do you got going on tonight? I'm like, oh, God. I've been studying all day. Hit the gym for a little bit. And there's this... Dean's list of that I gotta go to. And she goes, Oh, are you gonna go? I'm like, Yeah, I don't wanna go. And she's like, Why not? And then my aunt's on the other end, because they, the, the, the girls, Aunt Mary and Mom, they would like tag team. They'd always like each other, but they would tag team for the benefit of me. Billy! You go to that event! Yeah. Like, no, no, you go. So I go to the event. And I'm, like, so bored out of my mind. I go to my friend Brian. And if you know Brian from Jersey, I won't mention his last name. Because he's a rising star in politics now. And he don't necessarily want to be affiliated with these Until after he wins, then it'd be a cool thing. But, you know, during the process. And Brian is like, hey, let's go to this thing. And Brian is just looking <laughs> to go to an event. And when Brian would get drunk at an event, he used to do the um, old school theme. You're my boy, Blue! You're my boy! So Brian at events was funny. But I'm going there, and I'm shaking hands, and I get my award, and everybody else that got their awards are there. And there's going to be an after party at Village Green. Now, let me explain something. Low school after parties may not be what you think inner city after parties are, right? It's a little different. And the after party is at Village Green, and I'm I'm driving Brian back to Village Green. He's crashing with me, and I'm on the phone with Aunt Mare and Mom. And I put on speaker. We're driving back. Hey guys, what's going on? Um, got the award. Blah blah blah. What are you doing tonight, honey? Uh, there's this party at Village Green, but I'm going to avoid it. Why? You live at Village Green. Right, but it's not at my house. It's at somebody else's apartment. And I, and I said, you know, I think a couple of my ex-girlfriends are going to be there. And I don't want to get involved. They all got boyfriends and stuff. And that there's going to be drinking and who knows what. I don't know if I want the drama. And Aunt Mare and Mom, at this point, they're like, oh, you got to go. <laughs> Mom's like... She wants me to go, because Mom, at this point, she's in a lot of pain. But she loves hearing these crazy stories. And I would talk to my mom, like, my mom was like my big sister, right? She'd be really young. But I would say she'd on the phone to Mom about different girls and stuff. Like, I'd get advice from her. And it was like, the big sister was talking to her little brother. Then Aunt Mare, who's like the mother figure, she's co-signing on stuff. And Mom's like, no, no, go to the party, because something weird's going to happen. Then tell me about it. Alright, so I called my friend Jerry Daly, and Jerry, he's going now too, but you've heard about Jerry. And Jerry loved to live vicariously through me. He just did. 
I mean, I said, hey, I think an ex-girlfriend or two might be at this party. And Jerry goes, hey, are you nuts? You shouldn't go to that thing. I said, I know, but mom and Aunt Mary want me to go. And he's like, well, I don't think you should go. But if you do go, please tell me about it after. And one day it's going to make for a good story. Okay. So, I guess we should start with this as we go into the party phase. Cindy Lauper was a favorite of my family. And the story of Cindy Lauper is amazing. Poor girl from New York. In 1983, she just blew up with the album She's So Unusual. And Cindy Lauper had this amazing voice. But Cindy Lauper wasn't traditional. But songs like Time After Time and All Through the Night, Girls Just Want to Have Fun was probably her biggest hit, but it wasn't her most powerful. Time After Time was powerful as hell. And um, you're sitting there, and because you dated these people, you shared a few things. And some of the things you shared was about your mom. And I don't know, at this point of my life, I'm not really a vulnerable person, I don't share a lot of things, but when music came up, I felt like it was a safe topic. I've always been that person that I want to show you a piece of me, but I'll decide what piece I want to display. But for some reason with these particular women, I talked about Cindy Lauper, and I said, yeah, my mom would sing Cindy Lauper, and she loved Cindy Lauper. And I had the album, and, you know, just an amazing voice. And in my house, as a poor Italian family in the inner city of Atlantic City in the 80s and 90s, Cindy Lauper was a cold hero. We love Cindy Lauper. I still think she has one of the best voices I've ever heard. And that album, She's So Unusual, was always sacred in my family. And, um, yeah, so keep that in mind. So at this party, there's karaoke. Now, I'm always straight edge, right? I'm sober. I'm sitting there drinking my Gatorade. I'm talking to a couple people I want to talk to. I'm talking to Brian. I'm talking to this one, that one. And, um, and I see the room's really small. Or you ever been in that situation where the room gets really you know what I mean? Like, you want to avoid certain people, but the walls are caving in and you can't move. And despite the fact that I never went out much in law school, I had a pretty interesting social life. And it usually ended with... It ended on bad terms. One girl once told me that you are like this master chef that creates this amazing meal and little doilies are there and then when you sit down to eat you pull it away <laughs> and I'm thinking maybe one of my exes will be there I want to avoid that ex but no three of my exes were in this room three and we're not going to mention names because we don't do that here <laughs> but um we'll simply say New York California and Portland and now my inner circle know who I'm talking about nobody else will 
New York was an interesting girl. Um, she, as history tells us, as has been the subject of many things, she was one that left me for a much older guy who had a lot of money. And that was very fascinating that she brings this old guy to this party. So here's the guy she left me for, and she broke up this guy's marriage, and he's here. So we're like late 20s, right? And here's this guy who's like 60s at this party with these little students with this girl. And I told this joke to Brian, who's drunk. And it was a joke that has been used on Cheers. I actually learned this one on Cheers. But I said, New York's boyfriend, he can, his face could stop a clock. So Brian goes up to my ex from New York, and he goes, hey, so-and-so, can your boyfriend do that trick for us? And she goes, what trick is that? Billy told me the trick where his face could stop a clock. <laughs> now, drunken Brian has shared this to her. And she's pissed. And she's making a scene there. And I'm sitting there drinking my Gatorade. Mm -hmm. She goes, did you say that? No. No, I, I wouldn't say that. I don't talk about your relationship. I'm trying to get away. And it's karaoke time. So she volunteers to be the first one to sing karaoke. Now, I'm not singing karaoke, right? Your mom was... My mom was a huge yeah. karaoke person. Mom was the most professional singer. Mom loved karaoke. I didn't get that gene. I was in a lousy band briefly, but I was not the karaoke guy. So, New York says, Hey, why don't we do a Cindy Lauper song? Who loves Cindy Lauper? And I'm sitting there like, huh. That's going to be a shot at me, right? And you know it's going to... You know, something bad's coming. So... She picks this song, Money Changes Everything. And I've been thinking about that song lately. It came up in Spotify. And the song starts like this. I'm sorry, baby. I'm leaving you tonight. I found someone new. He's waiting in the car outside. <laughs> and she points to the new boyfriend. And I'm sitting there, drinking my Gatorade. And Brian's like, hey, you think she's talking about you and him? <laughs> Maybe. And, um, okay. Now, when New York is done singing, she goes up to California, which I thought was fascinating because California came after New York. California was nuts. Okay? And New York and California didn't like each other. They didn't intersect with one another, but they didn't care for one another. They kind of knew who they were, right? But they're uniting right now. So California says, I want to sing a song about Cindy Lauper, too. Now, California, one of her things was to sing karaoke and try and piss me off. She did this with a Mighty Money's Boston song before, but when we would be somewhere, she would sing karaoke and get, like, jumping around and eh, whatever. So she sings, and Nancy, here's where the girls want to have fun thing. She sings, girls just want to have fun. 
And I, I'm just sitting there, okay, I don't, that's not really a shot. I mean, I saw what New York did, but money changes everything. But I didn't see where she was going. And like, and she's dating this bodybuilder. And there's this bodybuilder in Lansing. And, me, and this guy is like highly confused. I mean, he is like shooting up juice in the bathroom at a law school party. He comes up to me and he's like, Hey, you know I'm stronger than you, right? I'm like, well, yeah, but you're using steroids. I don't know if that counts. And he got this confused look on his face. And I, I don't know. So she's saying girls want to have fun. Bodybuilder boyfriend's juicing up. New York. It's got her old man there. Brian tells him about the joke about the clock. Stop in face, whatever. And here comes Portland. Portland walks in with her new boyfriend. Portland and I had a uh, weird breakup. Yeah, it was just a weird one. I didn't really like Portland. I I'll be honest with you. Like, you ever date somebody you didn't really like? You've been there, right? <laughs> I didn't really care for her. Like, I thought she was a really nice person. You know, and she made a move, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, one of those things, and we hung out for a while, but it was very weird, because for somebody, like, Portland was unquestionably the least attractive of the three of these women, but had the biggest ego. And Portland walks in with this guy who she was dating after me, or maybe during, I don't know, she was probably cheating on me. He had failed out of law school. And uh, he was still coming to these law school parties. And I'm thinking to myself, New York's got the old guy there with the ugly face. California's got the juice boy. Portland's bringing in the guy that failed out. And I'm thinking, I need to just come to this party, right? I mean, I'm just sitting there and I'm sipping on this Gatorade, my lemon lime Gatorade, really slow. And Portland says, we're going to do Cindy Lauper too. And she goes, this is about being loyal for those that love you. And she points to her boyfriend. And this poor soul, he don't have a clue that this is a shot at me. And she sings time after time. And uh, I'm just sitting there. And like it destroyed Cindy Lauper for a while for me. Because every time I think of Cindy Lauper's great album, I'm thinking of these crazy people at this law school party. You know, and then you slowly walk out the room. You know that feeling, right? You ever been in that situation when you're in a group of people you don't want to be near? And you can't really say goodbye to the ones you want to say goodbye to because you got to get the hell out of there. Just got to go. So, three ex-girlfriends, knowing that my mom and our family love Cindy Lauper, seeing Cindy Lauper at this karaoke party, the one takes a shot about the money. The one is a moron, doesn't understand that girls want to have fun, has no effect on me. The one goes time after time. They're there with their group of new losers, which include the ugly money guy, the steroid boy, and the poor guy that failed at law school. And I, I call mom and Aunt Mary when I get back to my apartment, they're laughing their ass off, Jerry's having a good time with it. And, um... Was center of attention against my will and that became like a theme right like you can control the room that you don't want to control anyway that's um that's my thoughts on cheers and 
a law school party with the Cindy Lauper's She's So Unusual album. And let me just, Cindy Lauper is amazing. And I do not hold anything against Cindy Lauper for that night, but what a great album. And I'm so happy. Her, she is alive in and of herself. Cindy Lauper is one of the most amazing talents you've ever seen. Okay. Is there anything else you want to add? Thanks for coming in today. All right. Thank you for coming You're in. You're welcome. All right, I am Bill Amadeo, and thank you for uh, sharing your day with me. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.